I've been awake since 4.30. Yeah, I, I did didn't. not sleep well last night. Yeah, uh-uh. me either. Mercury so retrograde Eve? There's no such thing. Almost, almost. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gen X Stories, a podcast about how the so-called lost generation found itself. We're your hosts, Eve, Lori, and Courtney. Chris is still away. And while we promised him we'd be good, that means we won't. So brace yourself. In a world where quiet quitting and quiet firing and the great resignation are now part of work life, what do 50-year-olds expect in a job now? We will also hear from our beloved Facebook community about their first jobs, and we're going to pick one of them to get some awesome show swag. All right, on with the show. Hello, ladies. Hello, hello. Hello. Today, we're going to do some interesting stuff. Not only are we going to talk about jobs, but I mentioned in the intro, we heard a lot from our Facebook community, and I thought it'd be cool that we could read some of the things that they'd listed, and then as a group, we could pick one, and then we'll send that person some swag. Love it. It's buttons and, and stickers. All right. We've talked about jobs before, but we've sort of never looked at it through the lens of who we are right now. We've talked about our first jobs. So let's get some of that stuff out of the way. Courtney, we talked about your first job at some point that you were a cheesemaker. I, I, I <laughs> remember that. I remember the other details. And then you were in nonprofit. We're like, what's what's the early job landscape look like for you? Okay. So I would say my very first job would have been babysitting. I think that's sort of like a, a universal job for many, especially young girls growing up yeah. and you babysit to some extent. But my first job job where I got my own personal paycheck was working at this amazing little family run cheese shop. Cheese maker. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't make the cheese. We sold the cheese. Okay. And and other things too, like we had crackers and pasta and like there's a most amazing quiche. Like you buy it in single servings for lunch. Oh, I wonder you're best. a foodie. Oh yeah. Total foodie. And <laughs> across the way was a wine store. And so people would say, oh, I've got this wine, what cheeses would be good with it. So I actually read and learned a lot about cheese at a very young age. Like it's totally useless information now, but <laughs> like I understood like what, what? natto dye was and like all the different regions and what would be best with the red versus a white. And How old were you? Cheese platters. I started actually when I was 14. The owners, this wonderful couple, Barbara and Richard hired me after meeting me randomly through friends. And they were so kind because at 14, you make mistakes. Like one time I left out like five wheels of brie and I closed <laughs> up instead of put like huge wheels of brie instead of putting it into the mm. fridge that night. Like, so they were like, oh, should we keep her? Should we not? And they luckily they kept me because I worked for them for like six years. Um, like even coming back during college, like that, that particular brie incident, they were like, well, special on brie, get it while it's ripe. <laughs> <laughs> and what was so nice too, and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners had this experience as well. It's certainly in our generation. Like you had a lot of jobs in high school that involved interacting with people that were older yeah. than you, right? Yep. And so there were people that were older than me and they became mentors or people I could go to advice for going into high school and all that stuff. So I, you know, I loved it. It was such a great experience. Hard work for sure. Cause like you have to clean everything and open and closing. Like <laughs> I did everything from like picking up the floor mats and shaking them out and mopping the floor and taking out the trash to like cutting beautiful pieces of cheese and selling it. I did wash my hands in between. Oh, so. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. That's good. Good, good lesson. <laughs> but like you did everything in these kind of jobs. 
jobs. And I, I noticed on the Facebook group, there's a lot of people that are working in like ice cream stores, restaurants mm-hmm. or things like that. So I think a lot of us had this kind of experience. So the fact that you sort of randomly met these people, like if you hadn't met them, what would you think that you would have done in your first job? Like, would you have gone to this cheese shop to say, hey, hire me? Otherwise, well, you know, like most of my friends were working like part time jobs at the mall, like at the limited, mm-hmm. limited like like clothing stores. Because yeah. They wanted to get 20 percent off the clothing. I got 20 percent off a of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like. Tasty. Very smartly working at places that got them cute clothes. Okay, that makes sense. What about you, Lori? Do you remember your first gig and and why? Well, I think like court, right? It was the babysitting. That was the youngest. I was trying to remember what was first, but it doesn't really matter. I worked at the local fairgrounds, not during fair season, but when they would use the fairgrounds for like swap meets or anything that wasn't the fair. When you go to large scale events and you're parking and you know the people that are telling you where to park at you and they're pointing and they're telling you please park here that was me did you have a super cool like reflective vest i did (laughs) i did and i had to do it in the rain (gasps) and i had to do it in the heat then i graduated to giving you the parking ticket and taking the money. Graduated. So that, that, that's you couldn't, gra- do, that, you couldn't no. do that low level. You had to be higher had up. To, yeah, that's that right. was there was a hierarchy. Then I did the whole, like Courtney said, the clothing stores and two different restaurants. And like, then a bank. I worked in the bank as a bank teller. Were you a server yeah. in the restaurant or were you like a bar no, person? Hostess. Or you were just ho- hostess. I was a hostess. I also, on Monday Night Football, I did the bar food. I made a fortune. A bet. I made a small fortune. <laughs> in tips. They like took it up a notch, right? It started off with just like bar food. And then I was like, we have all these t-shirts. We should do raffles. At the end of every quarter, I would do a raffle. And then we, at the end of the game, I was like, okay, give me, give me restaurant gift certificates. And I would raffle off one at the end that was worth $25 or $50 or whatever. Our bar was slammed on Monday nights during football season. And then other girls would try and take my, my spot. I'm like, I'm the one that built this. Those are my tips. Mine, 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 mine. Yeah. I always wanted to do that. I, I don't have the balance necessary to be a server. I was like, I could be a hostess and nobody cared. Nobody I couldn't get any bar jobs, anything. Oh, like that, I had a blast at the restaurants. I'll bet. And everybody was my age. We were all okay. in our late teens and like heading into college and all that. What about you, Eve? My parents wouldn't yeah. let me do that. I don't know why. Did you I, have a I, job? I... Had a job briefly mm-hmm. in retail, but it didn't go well because you didn't how. understand you were working on commission. Correct. And I sucked at it because I was a great shopper and I was a <laughs> shitty seller. <laughs> I wasn't on commission when I worked at the little clothing store. I, I think that maybe mall stuff was different, but my little thing was on commission and I didn't understand what commission meant. And then you get like a negative. <laughs> Even the first paycheck was like negative. Like That's, <laughs> this isn't this isn't working. But I was trying to think. At some point, I don't know how old I was. Maybe it was college. I worked for the ACLU for one summer. Oh, look at you. ACLU in Philadelphia. And if you guys remember the Casey case, which was an abortion case during the summer that I was working for the ACLU, I had one job in the high school that I can remember, which was Mushka, which was the, the clothing boutique, which went poorly. Much more, as we talked, entrepreneurial because I made T-shirts mm-hmm. and I made made barrettes and I did all that stuff. I think I babysat sort of, but I have also have a feeling I wasn't good at it. <laughs> and then ultimately my first real job, it was 19, 
96, I worked for America Online. Dude. AOL? Yeah. Here's the thing about AOL, because some people still have a .AOL email and people like like to give them shit about it. But in 1996, AOL was the shit. Mm-hmm. And not only was AOL the shit, but the time that I joined it was when the busy signal thing hit. Do you remember that? That every oh, time God, you yes. tried to dial up and do, you got a busy signal. And so I'm I'm starting to work there and I'm in the editorial and produce, all this stuff. And they're all like, oh, you work for AOL. Can you fix my dial tone? <laughs> Can you help me get on? And I'm like, I, mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I was so excited because it's AOL. And at that time, it's your first real job. It's a brand that everybody knows. And it was really disappointing because you go in there is the time of stock options. So back mm. in the day, in early tech companies, you had to get you in there with stock options. And the way they worked is four years to vest. So you get a chunk of stock options that can then be cashed each year or all at once at the fourth year. And, like, ah, and did was... you work for four years? No. <laughs> Being inside a large tech company. And at that point, AOL wasn't as large as it ended up was pretty significant. It was fucking toxic. It was tech company before bros. Like 1.0. Right. We didn't know what a bro was, but I knew what a bro was because I worked with them. And it was terrible. I made it to two years. I talked to the stockbroker the day that the second year vested. And I said, is the money there? And they said, yes. And I gave my notice. Not even two weeks. I gave a day. This is reminiscent of like you were the lone girl in the computer club geeky stuff, right? Remember that? And, and yes. there, there were more women. <laughs> I will tell you, there were more women in AOL in the early days, but also in the early days, it was much more mixed. And then went through our first layoff, which mm. I had no idea what the fuck that was because we didn't have that in theater. <laughs> you either worked or you didn't. And the first layoff, actually reorganized the company into a different facility so that the women went upstairs as editors and the men went downstairs as producers. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. And I was in the kids only channel and the family's channel because that's what women do. Mm. <laughs> right. So I had a lot of women around me because we were all in like it was the women's channel and it was the family channel and it was the kids channel and it was entertainment. There's a couple boys here and there. But the people who actually produced the work those were the tech geeks. Those were the bros. And they were all downstairs in the dark. <laughs> Nobody prepares you for that. I wasn't prepared in theater for what it was going to be like or not like as a young woman lighting designer. Couldn't really get any gigs and left theater and ended up in this industry saying, oh, look, it's technical. We're all figuring it out. And it was the same shit. It was women are not treated well. And at 24, I'm kind of like, ooh, now what? <laughs> well, I can't remind me, Eve, after you left AOL, what did you transition into? I was friends with a guy who ran a very small company that did websites for foundations and nonprofits. And his mother set us up on a date and ended up being <laughs> friends. And I remember I was agonizing over AOL one day and he's like, time to stop hanging out with the big gorillas and play with the little monkeys. And it was five people in his company. And it was however many thousand were at AOL. And so when I quit, somehow it got into the world that I was leaving for like the Washington Post or something that also had like big numbers. And I'm like, it's not a competitor. Today, well, they wouldn't let me go because they thought I was voiding uh, my contract. I thought I voided my NDA. Uh, at 53 now, I can look back and say, dude, I've been doing this 26 years. Really? <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. And then the kids would be like, there was the internet that long ago? <laughs> so my roots were very strange in terms of getting to a career, but I, I have a feeling it's not that different than all of us. What was your first sort of quote unquote real job that led you to become a functioning human in society? Well, I worked for nonprofits that were helping children, a private children's charity 
that was amazing. And this is so long ago, but we were using new technology at the time to help children who were seriously ill, not terminally ill, but seriously ill, like chronic conditions like leukemia and diabetes and things like that, or having long hospital stays. How can we use technology to like educate or connect or to make their experiences more positive with what they were doing? Because it was sort of like a segment that wasn't really looked at at the time. And then I went on to run an AmeriCorps program that was teaching kids how to read in areas of Los Angeles for many years. And then I got into teaching. So I feel like I have always enjoyed working with children. I was going to say children seems to be the through line for a lot of these things. Lori, so what was your like real, real, real? I mean, I know you talked at some point in a utility company. Yeah, that, that was 23. Real, real, real? Holy uh, cow. I was 23 and I worked there for 10 years. Why did you pick that place? My dad was working there okay, and it was dad. a utility and it had a pension uh, and it had... <laughs> Had a 401k. Um, I didn't know when I started a job that I needed to worry about yeah, a 401k in their yeah. corners. I will say that it was the best training ground professionally. Just they they taught you things. They actually had training programs where you would learn how to manage people. It was a real company. Yeah, there's a lot of bureaucracy, but they invested in their employees. So it was a now. really good experience for me. And the only reason I left is because I got this really awesome job at a very high-end ticketing company that was in the news recently. I was going to say, currently they're fighting Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Yep. <laughs> but I quite like larger companies in a lot of ways because I like structure. Which is funny because you work for yourself in a small company now. I do. And one of the biggest issues is what I consider to be a lack of structure because I'm used to, here's a box for this. Here's a box for that. I mean, I'm very happy. Don't get me wrong, but I like the structure. And I think it's because I consider growing up there, not to mention my dad worked there. So he was there for 33 years. We both left in the same year. He retired. I just left. And I think about it now. If I had stayed, I'd probably be retiring right about now. I'd have been there 32 years. Holy cow. Yeah. Is that related to longevity for our generation in the workforce, like staying with the same company for a long period of time versus now, which always surprises me that that people jump like a year to year to year to year. Oh, I know. It surprises me too, because I like being places for a long time. Yeah. I I like that stability. Yeah. I spent 10 years there and then the next longest was nine and a half years. Is is that our generation that we like that kind of structure in a a work environment or no? Courtney's thinking about it. I don't know. I think I totally hear what Lori's saying though. Like, that they're being in a bigger pond, right? With this like larger corporate structure, like they give you training, they Mm -hmm. invest in you, they want you to be long-term. I think some of that got turned on its head when our generation graduated from college because it was like the actually like the worst recession in terms of Mm -hmm. job opportunity since the Great Depression. And so I think people took that as an opportunity to maybe explore entrepreneurial options and or creative options they might not have gone for if it had been probably a steadier economy. And I'm just speaking from my personal lens, like a lot of people I knew did things that were kind of a leap of faith to see if Mm. they could make it happen since they weren't going to get a quote, quote, regular job anyway. And I think on the flip side of that, you know, many friends who did go into the corporate sector ended up getting screwed because there were layoffs and stuff. So where my parents could not understand why I wouldn't like pick a company, stick with it and be there for 20 years. Because then my parents felt like, okay, good. I can wash my hands of her. She's got a good job. She's got a pen. She's got everything. Don't have to worry about her. I think this really speaks to Gen X, right? Gen X was creating and carving 
putting out new stuff, I think. So I think maybe we were more comfortable with the notion of a gig economy or gig jobs. Before right? we I mean, knew what it was called, before we even yeah, exactly. knew of a gig. Yeah, that's interesting. That. I mean, because like, look at you, if you worked in theater for a little while and that's a total gig economy, it's like you're on this show, you're right. on the, the next whatever show or production. But I didn't um, know that. That's the thing is I wonder if I'd gone into graduate school knowing what the job prospects were. Like, again, I think this also comes back to not having the number of jobs a kid. I really didn't know what a job was. I just didn't know. There was an internship or there was a failed retail experience. And when I got out into the theater world, it was impossible to find work. And I felt like a failure because my first year out of theater school, I made $8,000 a year. And that was working constantly. And I couldn't get anywhere and I didn't understand it. And everyone couldn't handle working with a girl. And that's what actually led me to get into the tech industry because I thought that I could get further with it. And I thought that that, you know, to your point of a settled gig, you know, theater is still unsettled as fuck. Mm-mm. I'm sort of glad I didn't know when I was a kid because I had great education. I got an MFA in theater, but people look at it and go, wait a minute, you don't have a degree in digital? I'm like, there was no degree in digital. The closest thing is I had an <laughs> MFA in theater. That's how that worked for us. But if I think I'd known what I was facing and didn't go into so naive, I might have made different choices. Mm. I don't know if I would have gone into theater because of that issue that you just brought up, Courtney, that it is it is catch as catch can. And when you're younger, especially recession-wise, you want stability. And I never I that's really a good had point. That. Good point, Eve. And I think also too, for people who are listening who have grown up with smartphones or the internet, we did not have that Anything. when we were graduating. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but like we were actually going to maybe the library and looking up books about businesses or books mm-hmm. about categories mm-hmm. of businesses yep. and like flipping through a physical phone calls, sending resume letters. Mm-hmm. Like, it was very old school. Very old school. Tried to get a job back then. It's it's light years different now. And I think it might be hard to understand that like we're, we entered into a world and an economy where it was some, hard to get a job. It was helpful to have someone give you a leg up or give you an introduction. Yeah. And so people often stayed within the same genre of work as maybe their friends or family because you were able to like get your foot in the door. That's so it's a interesting. totally different world now. Like people can check you out on LinkedIn. Right. Because mm-hmm. we didn't have any of that. And mm-hmm. you just reminded me of something too, because when I was in theater for the year that I was on my own after I graduated, Brandeis couldn't make work. And I went to a workshop of what do you do with your life? Because I didn't know that that's <laughs> going to be people who were 30 years older than I was. So I was in my 20s and these are people who are midlife like us now. It's like three days and you do the tests and the INTP and the Myers-Briggs and I'm like, I don't think I'm right here, but okay. It just didn't make sense to me about this world. And I had to be sort of educated in how to do it. I thought that that business would be comfortable to have the kind of bureaucracy that you're talking about, Laurie. Mm-hmm. I found I winced at it. Mm. That that the thing that you most want mm-hmm. when you get it. I joke that the four years of vesting at AOL would have been millions of dollars and mm-hmm. it wouldn't have come close to cover therapy costs. Wow. Because it was that bad yeah. in 1996 to 1998. And that sort of stuck in my head differently than your experience was, Lori. That mm-hmm. I can't work for this many layered organization. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I think, well, maybe I was wrong. Nope. Not wrong. <laughs> See, I could fit right back in. I really? could. Oh, yeah, I could slide right back in. It would not even face me. Interesting. I would, it because I also think that it was comfortable for me because Court was just now saying about how to get into these larger companies you needed to know somebody. Well, I did. Yeah. I had to get myself in, but I had somebody, and it See? was a good company, and it was stable, and it was all that so, insider information. Yeah, yeah. But I still had to interview, and then in my ten years, I promoted quite nicely. It was such a great training ground. Like I would not be 
good at my job now. I don't think if I hadn't been there and it's a totally different world, but that training taught me so much. And sometimes I regret that I left. Really? Yeah. I think about our generation and being in an industry that didn't exist. We didn't have cell phones. We barely had emails. There was something about that entrepreneurial thing. Like, well, we're making this shit up. And Xers were the mavericks. I liked that until it became a liability when I got older. There's a unification because we're all in the same boat. And if you're in this industry, it's taken that leap like you talk about. And it's scary. And you tell people that you had a job before the internet. Your experience in a job was older than Google because it was. Because it was. And because Google was founded by Gen Xers. It's a really weird thing that, that there's structure involved in lack of structure because we're making it up. The other thing for me is like, I was 23 when I went and worked for this huge 10,000 employees between Central California and Southern California, Jesus. right? So it, it was a big company, but you were kind of guaranteed a job. And then I was in HR and all of a sudden we were doing layoffs. See that? And I had never heard of such a thing. It had never happened at the company before. And I remember being like, oh my God, like you came to these big companies because it was a air quotes, guarantee safe job. And I think after that, I thought, well, now nothing is safe. So I might as well go and do something different. And after 10 years, I did. It took 10 years. Well, I'd been in this little company called IAPS, Interactive Applications Group, which was the little five-person company. I actually thought that we had to jump from job to job to actually get successful. So I was like, well, I have to leave and I have to go someplace else. And I went to a company called K-12. Is that that online school? Bingo. And it was run by a Republican. He was the education secretary. And I had a lot of hesitation because I'm a Democrat. I'm like, how can I go work for a Republican? And it's all homeschooling. But it was technology, teaching mm-hmm. education to kids. I'm like, well, I, that, how can that be bad? That was the first time that I was actually laid off and it shocked me. It was out of the blue. It was a corporation and they're not making money. And so they have to go do that riff. Blew me out of the water. It took me a while to recover from the fact that that they don't want me there anymore. It wasn't that I wasn't doing a good job. It's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Mm -hmm. And I did not understand that. The whole layoff thing. It's hard not to take it personal. Yeah. Right. That it's just business. I can't say that it started in our generation, but I know that anyone who has gone through the early stages of the tech industry knows what a layoff is and has been through it because of, we have all this money, we have no money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have all this money, Mm -hmm. we have no money. It's interesting. I think working in the nonprofit sector was a different mentality. The nonprofit I went into for my second job was a built-in deadline. Like it was a certain grant for a certain amount. So I went from Mm. like a more corporatized version to a really a grant-driven version. So like I knew what was going to happen. Happen. And so I was preparing for that. And then we luckily got another cycle and I was very fortunate and then transitioned to grad school. But I also married someone who works in a gig economy. Right. Like it's something that's just, I understand, which is the opposite of both of our parents. Like both of our dads had steady and long-term jobs Yeah, yeah. and both ended up having their own companies. And, and so it, we are like an anathema to our parents. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Both my husband and and I think because maybe we were both in it, we're both very sort of more comfortable with it because we're in and out of it together in a yeah. way. But but because I knew there was built-in obsolescence for the kind of jobs I was doing, I was mentally prepared for it. I was looking for like the next one. And that's a good model too. And and you mentioned your parents. I had to think about it. My parents were the things you're supposed to be. My father was a physician. My mother was a teacher. And that in that generation, right? That's what you do. You're a doctor. You're a lawyer. A businessman. You're a teacher. If you're a woman. Mm. My father expected me to be that when I was in, at Penn with you, Courtney. I was pre-law because oh, right. that, I didn't know that. Right, I remember you telling that. That's what you're supposed to be. 
because job equals doctor, lawyer, businessman. And those are the professions you go into. And so I was a philosophy major and then I did all this theater and then it became clear that in my mind, theater was the way to go, but really what it turns into is creativity and which leads into when we're talking about industry and tech and all that stuff, but you don't know that when you're a kid. Well, I think but, it's interesting for you, Eve, because you talk about your computer stuff in high school yeah. and you're also a creative person and what you do now is creative and tech combined. Like you yeah. kind of fulfilled your early interests in a way. I like to think that way. I don't think it works this way anymore, to be honest. And it feels like I've aged out of a lot of things because there aren't a whole lot of people like me anymore. You're either a technical or a creative. You're oh, rarely both. But people in our age, you had to do everything. I go back to when I was young and you take that leap. I don't know how I could do that if I now if I hadn't done that first. Like, how the hell does anyone let their child do that? And my parents did. The parents of the very solid careers with a child that's doing anything but solid that they were cool with. I think about if I were a parent right now, how would I it's handle different. a child? Yeah. It's so different now. How they would be aware of options, how they would research options, how they would put themselves out there. Like it is totally the different. Wild West, really, right? Because there's this whole other social media route that people right. can utilize for either small business branding or personal development of your individual as a person brand or just what it's kind of it's kind of amazing to see how innovative and creative these people are, or like how haphazardly it, it comes about. Like, I don't know if anyone watches Dancing with the Stars. I know I'm a total geek, but I love it. What one of the stars on it was a young woman who had a TikTok account and she did like little dances or whatever and, and had a huge following. And now her family has like a reality show. Oh, yes, and yes, yes. And she and her mom were both selected to be on Dancing with the Stars. And so it's like two years ago, would she ever thought that like that she'd be doing this? No, yeah. of course not. But like things kind of, I think, evolve in totally random and different ways than we as a generation Xer could comprehend. I still bit. have a hard time comprehending it to tell you the truth. So being comprehensive <laughs> the right word. We no. do not as Gen Xers have the same possibility of this kind of entrepreneurship in uh -huh. this way because we did not have social media in the same right. way. Mm -hmm. We could be entrepreneurs and do different things and start businesses. That's all true. And I think we were innovators in that way. And I think we were risk takers. It's just very the outcome different. is different. Yeah. And how they can mm -hmm. make this happen. And it, yeah. I think it's 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 both exciting and nerve wracking. And we talk about sort of the early days of the internet that I sort of stumbled into because honestly, I'm like, I have a master's of fine arts and I'm a designer. I can design anything. Because there's that that logic that doesn't make any sense because it's like, I don't have a degree in this stuff, but it's design. How hard can it be? Mm. <laughs> and you sort of just went by the seat of your pants at that point. But that's a little different because I didn't go by the seat of the pants thinking that I was going to get picked up as an influencer and somebody <laughs> was then going to make a show about me. It was just like, how am I going to find my place where I'm good at creating something where there's nothing? I think that also speaks to us as a generation because we would do that. If there's something, there's nothing. Well, we're going to let's let's take a flyer. At least that's my experience. I don't know because my parents were kind of like, we'll give it a shot. One of my mother's favorite lines is to find your bliss. And when I left Penn to go into theater, she gave me a portfolio because she was an artist. And in it was a sticky that said, follow your bliss. Like that's 
that's a different mm-hmm. mentality that I think mm-hmm. a lot of us as Gen Xers had because she was open to me exploring it. I think a lot of listeners though might have experienced that kind of support as well because at, I feel like Gen, Gen Xers are very creative and some didn't and some forged on their own. Like there's a lot of that. But I just want to say like you talked about like being creative and innovative. I just wanted to harken back to some of the, like the Facebook posts folk to me. I think they were working in a restaurant or ice cream shop, but she's like, yeah, we would make up new products all the time, like putting potato chips in the hot fudge sauce. And I was like, oh my God, I so would have been into that with you. <laughs> we have a Facebook group for the podcast and we asked them about their first jobs and some, like you mentioned, there's a lot of the babysitting stuff, but there's some really great ones. So we're going to go through a couple of these and then okay. it's somebody. Christina. It's Christina. Nora Cunningham. Oh, it's and she's Christine. a moderator. Christine said this, that we would come up with some awesome concoctions when we were bored. That's when I discovered how delicious potato chips dipped in hot fudge was. And I was like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that summer I made enough paying tips to buy my first car for $600 in 1987 light blue four door Chevette. Okay, Christine. But but you know which one I liked? It's short and sweet. Is Mariska Breland? She says blockbuster. (laughs) Whatever your first job was, I doubt it was better. And I'm like, that's right. She's owning it, and she's she's like, that's how it is. That was an awesome place to work. I think she's right. Like, what else can compete with that? That's a good one, right? It's so funny. This Barbara Foley talks about working at her mom and dad's video store, like mom and pop video store. Like, so there was like non-chain video store stuff. Right. A lot of ice cream parlors. Yeah. There was an interesting one. Rachel Cole said her first real job was when she was 15 and she worked in her local library. Mm. Desk, cataloging, shelving, you name it. I did it. The kids section was in the basement, which was dark and dank and smelled like mold with cobweb covered <laughs> bust Ooh. of Lewis Carroll. And I always tried to get out of shelving down there because it was so nasty. And some, <laughs> and like this, these days people were like, what's a library? What's a library? <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good gig. I mean, again. Oh, there's Andrea Davis, our classmate. Yep. What did she say? She was working at the Big Alice Ice Cream parlor in providence rhode island lines out the door and so the ice cream parlor actually reeked of garlic because guido's italian restaurant was next door <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't allowed to accept tips okay that's a bummer you got to be able to have a you got to be able to have tips there, as a right? kid yeah that's so funny another pen friend andrea harris she wrote ad copy for a record label he hired Ooh. me because of my improv experience with Penn. She did Without a Net, which was an improv group at Penn that our friend Sue Gibbs and Dave Stern and a bunch of other people were in. That reminds me now, I was an administrative assistant for a jingle company. What? Yeah. You ever um, write copy? No, but... It's like, kind of cool. And and we had jingles at, in the answer machine message. The, the, the oh voicemail was a jingle. Oh my God. Yeah, That's I mean, awesome. I, I remember. I don't know how that happened. I think I was in college and it must have been a summer gig. Yeah. And and somehow I got led to being at a front desk administrative mm-hmm. pick up the phone at a jingle company. And the woman who I worked with, she left the jingle company and she opened her own drama bookstore in Philadelphia. It was the only drama bookstore in Philadelphia. And I ended up working there at some point with her too. And I, that's so fun. That's like your blockbuster as a theater person. Right. Like, right. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Theater right. bookstore. But I just yeah. want to point out because Andrea wrote, I wrote ad copy for a record, record label. label. Like, to, like something that doesn't really exist in the same no. way anymore. Right. But who other? D-worker. Poor Ethan worked at KFC. Yeah. <laughs> what did he say? He said he had to, they had, they had a video to make sure they knew how to wash their hands. And- oh. <laughs> But he learned about taxes. He learned about taxes and customers. Mm, That's important. It was still really great for him. Yeah. Gaby selling gowns during prom season in 1991. There was a lot of satin. 
a lot of satin. These are good gigs. Wow. I never would have thought. Ben Tucker the fourth. My first W-2, the fact that he knew what a W-2 was, I guess he knows it now, but I didn't know it then. First W-2 job was washing dishes for my great-grandmother in her restaurant. She was 85 at the time and continued to work six days a week for another three years. You go, Grandma. God bless her. I love it. That's amazing. There's the Randall's grocery store from Kimberly in Texas. What did she say? Awful boss. And then so (laughs) she transferred and worked in health and beauty. (laughs) That's a shift. She was 17, worked at Randall's grocery store in the bakery. Holy shit. Oh, these other ones. Oh, wait, there's someone who worked in Sydney. Is that Sydney, Australia? Georgia DG in the 70s in Sydney, kids used to have cards with papers and magazines like a stand outside a train station. Move around and there was a turf war between the boys. Oh my gosh. Susie's. She lived. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but she said she was seven or eight. That's wow. early. Yeah, that is early. Maybe other countries allow you to work a little earlier. It was us than others. Well, you know, when you're like eight, you have a newspaper route. Yeah, when Chris did, remember? Yeah, you have a newspaper route when you're eight, nine, and ten. Oh. Heidi Tandy. Heidi Tandy. She's also one of our pen friends. Yeah. Not for not not first first job, her te- which was teaching people how to use Max in a computer <laughs> spot in 1980, 100%, <laughs> because you got to use, you got to use the experience. Yeah. But it was an early one. I was running the shop in the back of a hotel bar for the Clevelander Hotel in South Beach in the summer of 1990. I was not 21, but didn't have to be since I was just a shop girl, but definitely saw high school friends who were also not 21 <laughs> coming and going. But I think a lot of people's first gigs seem to be service industry stuff. Yeah, it's very yeah. common. Yeah, I guess so. Because, we well, the schedules are so flexible. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh. And these were either after school gigs. I mean, if, if you were in high schools, after schools, weekends, it was summer. Yeah. No. Julie. Julie worked at Schluter's Pharmacy. What and the it heck? It looks like is that? she had to do a lot of stuff with the Hallmark statues. She what? got fired because she curled up on the floor behind the register to take a nap after a rough <laughs> Saturday night. It was in the basement. I figured I would hear them walking down the stairs before they saw me sleeping. Oh, oh poor Julie. <laughs> poor Julie. And she was 16. Julie oh. Zordani. Zordani. It's a good name. Yeah. Teenagers are always tired. So I actually worked with a gal when I was at the utility and she would crawl under her desk <gasps> and take a nap. And she was in her 20s. Okay. And I'm like, you are at a grown-up company. <laughs> You're a grown-up company. What are you doing? You put on pantyhose for fuck's sake. We did put on <laughs> pantyhose. <laughs> a great Facebook post. Thanks, the, everybody. The, yeah. yeah. Do you want to pick one? Do you want to like put your finger on the screen and see? Yeah, I, I don't know how we do this. I just highlighted mine. Mariska Breland from Blockbuster. Blockbuster for the win. Earned you some swag. Yes, so, ma'am. All right, Mariska, Very you're going to cool. get some goodies. I'll contact you about your address. This community, I can't say it keeps us young because we're not going to be young, but our community has been really fabulous with giving us some insights that just among the three or four of us, we just never really knew. So mm-hmm. the, these stories are oh, always really fabulous to sort of learn some new things and, and maybe even bring up some questions because now, I mean, those are things that we did as a kid. Those people work in very different fields, obviously, right now. I know a lot of them. Where is a good place for Gen Xers to be now? Let's say retired, <laughs> which we cannot ever, Not yet. ever. I feel like ever. Don't say that. But let's say between 40 and 60 years old. Dude, this is a question none of us can answer. <laughs> no. I'm telling you right now. This is like the existential question of our generation. Of where do we, like, where do we belong? Like, this is a totally different podcast. Like we need a whole other hour. We need to bring on all our Facebook crew. We need to have a therapy session about this. Yeah, like, this no is kidding. bigger. Than, than our the three of us. Yeah. Right. First jobs was good. It was nice and contained. This yeah, but, like, but this is Dora's book. This is a 
those fan doors. I like your idea about retired because in theory, I'd love to retire, but I don't know if we ever can. And they've moved retirement mm. age from 65 to 67. Oh, apparently. Well, that sucks. That sucks. Not like we were going to retire anyhow. What's interesting, like right now, the three of us, if you look at where we are right now, would you have expected this is where you'd be at mid midlife? So let's no. say, so why, Lori? Why do you Because I think- would have, I expected to actually retire from the gas company. You did. You expected I did. to be 30 plus years and that that I would did. be it with your gold watch. I did. Mm-hmm. Really? 100%. Courtney, where do you think you would be at when you were younger? Yeah, no, I've no, no. This is this is a totally different path, and and a path that I embrace because it's a subject to interesting circumstances and people I've met, yeah, and my family. Like the things came along that guided me to where I am today. So I'm grateful to where I am. But no, no, no idea. <laughs> would never have guessed like this is where I'd be right now. I had to think about this. Because it it bubbled up a lot of stuff. For all of our listeners who don't know, I run my own little design company, which I never would have done. I'm sort of with you, Lori, that I wanted to work for a company. Mm-hmm. While the big company faded away, the notion of being in a big bureaucracy, and it was like, no. So I ended up at an agency during nonprofit work for 13 years. And I thought that I would retire from there. Like The logic in my brain never occurred to me that anything would change, that I would not be there forever. And I was wrong. Inspired not laid off, fired by a millennial. This is, this is, (laughs) sticks in her craw. I'm just letting you know that Um, everybody. (laughs) I hope largely because we talked about being in the tech industry, like we made shit up as we went along. So I built the careers of the people behind me and maybe trained some of them, maybe mentored some of them. And she went to a design school and she got a web design degree, which they didn't have when I was mm-hmm. younger. And right before I left, she actually turned to me and she goes, I really appreciate everything that you've done for the industry because you never were formally trained. So good for you. And it just took every effort of my mm-hmm. being not to say, bitch, I made your industry. Shut the fuck up. From what I've read, we are some of the senior people in these companies and we manage younger people. I'd be okay with it until that happened. But but I know a lot of people who are senior level managers, whatever. I don't know if it's a job for them that they just go and it's something to do. I get paid for it and then I go home or it's a passion for them. And for me, I always want to be in something that I am passionate about. That may be naive. I don't think the desire to be doing something that we're passionate about is naive. I think Gen Xers more than anybody could probably try to figure that out. Yeah. And if they're not doing it in their day job, I think a lot of people do extracurriculars or or hobbies or nonprofit or volunteering. Like I think as a group of people for identifying as Gen Xers, I think we find ways to maybe they're focusing on family or maybe they're focusing on caring for elderly parents or whatever. I think we all manage to juggle probably a variety of things. Like if we're not doing our absolute passion job, we're probably fulfilling that passion, hopefully in outside other ways. Of the workplace, you know, and I think that that's very valid. Let's be honest here, Eve, you also are producing a podcast, right? This isn't our job. We do it because it's a passion project. Um, yeah. And then you, if you do for work, what is your passion? What happens there? Does that work? I mean, I, for most part, every day I went in supporting nonprofits and being a creative director and, and doing all that, that was exciting to me. But for, there's some people for whom if you cross that line between the passion project and the work, the passion isn't fun anymore and you've made it a job. And we've talked about this for this podcast. If this becomes a job, I don't know. I like that we just sort of do it on a Sunday and we just fuck around. Okay, I know thing. what Lori's going to say. Lori's going to say, I want to paid. I want to be famous. Right, right Lori? I so just want to be famous. I just want to be famous. Well, it would be nice to be it paid. It would be nice to be paid. 
So Lori's Lori's got the opposite point of view of Eve in this motion. (laughs) Right. right. I think it's true that there's some challenges these days about work-life balance. And I there's no such thing. And I look at especially we talked about TikTok (laughs) earlier. There are a lot of millennials and late Gen Zers who are getting into this this corporate world and doing their corporate whatever it is that don't have that or they want that and they can't get it. They can't find a way to sort of have a life and have a job at the same time. And certainly things like in the tech industry, they Build Ugh. bedrooms at Twitter so that you have it 80, 90 hours a week. There's no balance there. That's what I'm saying. So then, as a Gen Xer, if you were looking for a job right now, mm, we're fucked. We're fucked. We're fu- <laughs> I think everybody's fucked because you hear things about quiet quitting, quiet firing. You hear the sort of the great resignation, which happened during COVID, COVID, that people would leave companies because they didn't support them. With all of that shit going on, plus now all the tech companies shedding people. Mm. What happens to a midlifer looking for a gig? You're screwed. Is there any hope? Or you do what we did. You start your own thing. Start your own thing. We've seen entrepreneurship all the way back when we were younger. I know personally, given my experience with the millennial who canned me, I don't (laughs) think I could work for another human again, which is going to be a problem if I need to make if you need to, if you need to make more money, I need to make more money that, that I am at a certain place that I'm comfortable, but it's not going to be you then get promotions and promotions and more money and more money. That's not where I'm at. at my Yeah. Age. I think for me, like right now, I, working for someone else is fine. I'd be perfectly happy. I could be a receptionist right now. Again, I don't need to climb any ladders anymore is what I'm trying to say. Me either. I like not having to think about work after a certain hour. And in my industry, it's very cyclical, right? So we have spurts where we work a lot, but I'd be perfectly fine (laughs) answering phones somewhere. That would be just fine with me. I don't don't, jingle jingle companies. companies. I think that that speaks to age, wisdom, and experience. Mm -hmm. We do not need to prove Mm-mm. anything to anyone Mm-mm. else anymore. We understand nope. what we're capable of as Gen Xers. I, we understand what we have to offer. We're like, yeah, Mm-mm. we know what we got. If you don't see it, not my problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And do you think that's a virtue of age over who we are as a generation? That, that by the time you get to midlife, you're like, fuck it anyhow. <laughs> a mixture of both. Probably a bit more like overtly pronounced because of our generation. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're the whatever. We're a little sassier. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're whatever. Like the whole memes of like we could give a F. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Probably enhances that attitude a little. Let's say that. Let's put let's put the stake in the ground that as Gen Xers that are aging, we're kind of like, we're gonna do our own shit. All right. That is it for us this week. Thank you for listening to Gen X Stories and thanks to our Facebook community for sharing their first jobs with us. Mariska Breland, look for your show swag in the mail soon. Drop us a note at hello at genxstories.com and we may do some more shout outs on a future episode. Did you know also that we have merch? Like real cool shit. Find out all about it on our website at genxstories.com. You can also subscribe to Gen X Stories on your favorite podcast app, write us a kick-ass review. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Follow us on Instagram at Gen X Stories or join our ever-growing Facebook group where we talk about all this cool stuff and you too can get some schwat. We all have a Gen X story. What's yours? <laughs>